This is the Book Marketing Action Podcast, and I'm Becky Robinson. Since 2012, my team and I have partnered with more than 100 authors to launch more than 130 business books. On this podcast, I'll share the best insights and actionable ideas from our work so that you can implement sustainable activities to reach your goals for your book. Whether you're a seasoned author looking to breathe new life into your book or someone who dreams of writing a book someday, this podcast will help you be more successful in getting results as an author. Hi, everyone. This is Becky Robinson, and I am so thrilled to welcome you to another episode of the Book Marketing Action Podcast. And today's episode is part of a new series, and the series is based on my book, which is scheduled to come from Barrett Kohler Publishers in April 2022. So this is the first time ever on the podcast that I'm going to announce that the book is coming. The book is called Reach, Creating Lasting Impact for Your Book, Message, or cause. And Lisa Cohn is an author friend of mine, and I'm interviewing her for the purposes of talking about her in the book. And so we decided that we would use our own approach, which is to repurpose content, and that we would record a podcast with Lisa so that you can learn from her now. So later... I can put some of her lessons into my book. And we have some other surprises along the way about how we want to repurpose our content in a way that will help our audiences the most. So just please forgive this kind of self-plug at the beginning of today's episode, but I know you're going to love hearing from Lisa Cohn. So Lisa, let's start. And I would love for you to introduce our audience to you and talk about your work in the world and your books as we get started. So yes, thank you for saying books. So I'm going to, as you know, have my story starts broad and come down narrow. But I'll start with the way I describe my childhood is the best seats I ever had at Madison Square Garden or at my mother's wedding because my mom got married on July 1st, 1982 with 2,075 other couples because I grew up in a religious cult, a member of the Unification Church, Amuni. And on the other hand, the best cocaine I ever had was from my father's friend, the judge. Yes, really a judge, I've been asked. And that was then. And now I am a author, award-winning author, leadership consultant, executive coach. I work with C-suite leaders in Fortune 50 companies and not-for-profits, helping them be more thoughtful, more intentional, more present, and more authentic in their work and their lives. And so that's me, the two sides, and the books reflect that. So a number of years ago, we put out our book, The Power of Thoughtful Leadership, which is truly, I, uh, long story short, my life is me- saved many ways by daily readers. And The Power of Thoughtful Leadership, 101 Minutes to Being More Thoughtful in Your Life and Work, it really is basically a, a daily reader where you can find a topic and find a quick thought on how to stop and ground and be more intentional on how you show up. And then two and a half years ago, Tomorrow, my memoir, To the Moon and Back, A Childhood Under the Influence, was published. So those are my two books that I have been pushing and riding the waves with for the last few years. Thank you so much. So Lisa, let's talk specifically today. I'm really interested in diving in to your book, To the Moon and Back, because when I first met you, you had a draft of that memoir, and it took a few years before you brought it to market. But I'm curious what aspirations fueled that. And tell us a little bit about that journey to publishing your memoir. So I get asked many times why I did it. What was the reason? What fueled me to do it? And I hate to admit, I don't know fully. And I will answer your question. So long story short, I crashed and burned in the mid 
almost late 80s and was engaged to someone who drank a hell of a lot and was just on the road to destruction, self-destruction, and crawled into 12-step program, called into Al-Anon saying, tell me if he's an alcoholic. There's no way to ever be with an alcoholic. And first of all, there are a myriad of reasons why it would be, and I grew up in a cult. And I would tell my story and people with their jaws would drop, right? As my brother says, when you're in a room of like hundreds of people who all these incredible stories and you tell yours and everybody goes, wow, you go, oh, there's something there. And everyone would say, you should write a book. You should write a book. So fast forward, still a long time ago, probably about 20 years or so, I decided to write a, because um, I was a coach, I was going to write a, a powerful, hopeful book. And I was going to write a half memoir, half self-help. Here's what happened to me. Here's how it messed me up. I got better. You can too. And I would get incredibly warm, glowing rejections from agents. Amazing story. You're actually a good writer. You can't sell a hybrid book. You're not famous enough. Where will they put you in Barnes & Noble? And then in around 2009, an agent called me and said, if you write a memoir, I'll represent you. To which I famously said, please excuse me. I don't want to write another Glass Castle because I wanted to write a memoir of hope. And she said, you should be so lucky as to write a glass castle. And she's right, because it's an amazing book. And But I wrote the memoir and she didn't take me on. And then there was a series of many years finding another agent that I then lost. And finally, I found my publisher directly. It's an indie house in East Village where I grew up in New York City. And I found her in 2016 and signed with her in 2017. And the book came out in 2018. So you had more to your question than that, but that's a long story. Now I have reasons why I've spent the last two and a half years strongly promoting the book and even bringing the book very clearly into the work I do with leaders and bringing my past into it. But I did it because someone said it was a good idea. And one of the scars of my childhood is that if you put something in front of me, I will do it. I will do it no matter what. I will do it till I die. Even if I die, like I will get it done. And so I was persistent and got amazing rejections for a really long time and never gave up. And now the book is out there making a difference in the world, which is why I care about it, what I want to do. So where do you want me to go further with that question? Because I kind of ran. Sure. I'd, I'd love to hear what your greatest hopes for the book are. So now that it's here, you mentioned that you've been marketing it for two and a half years. What is it that you want this book to do? What are your hopes for it? So... The day, the week it came out, it came out on Tuesday. And that Thursday morning, I was on Megan Kelly, back when there was a Megan Kelly show. And that Thursday evening, I had a book reading in the hometown, in my town where I live in Pennsylvania, outside of Philly. And in the afternoon, I was sitting on my side porch and my next door neighbor said, hey, what's going on today? And I said, funny, you should ask. I was on national television this morning. And I told him the story because nobody really knew. I always kept it quiet where I live. And within weeks, his wife emailed me and she said, thank you for giving us all the courage to tell our childhood stories. And that's why I do it. So I have three messages. My three main messages are extremist situations exist. They are really prevalent. They are all over. They are highly intoxicating. It is the best drug ever to have a messiah. And they're very dangerous. Message two, for anyone who feels hopeless or damaged beyond repair, there is hope and you are not damaged. I realized when the book came out, I still thought I was damaged. I have damage. I have scars. I'm not damaged. It's a very different perspective. And the third that I know from my own life, from my work as an executive coach, is that as a species, we are way too hard on ourselves. We're self-critical and self-judging. And we just need a huge dose of self-love and self-compassion. So my hope for the book is that it will spread these messages, that it will reach the people who have been in or grown up in extremist situations and those who've had any sort of situation and help them realize that the shame they're holding 
is not theirs to keep. They don't need to be in shame and they can truly let it go. I'm still trying to let mine go, but I'm daily letting it go. And as I said to someone just the other day, if I've only reached the thousands, maybe tens of thousands I've reached with the book and with the message, then that's enough because I am lucky to be happy. Right. And I just want to spread that message of hope and love, self compassion and self love to as many people as I possibly can, which I also do in my work. I like to say I'm the executive coach who talks about love in the C suite. Right. But now that the book's out and you Google me, you know my story. So I will tell everybody yep, I grew up in a cult. Yep. I ended up in 12 step program. And yes, you deserve to be happy and to take care of yourself. And let's help you do that. So that's why I, I love that. So Lisa, you mentioned being on the Megan Kelly show and I watched that clip. It was amazing. I think we should put it in the show notes so people can watch also. And that's obviously, you know, national TV, a big platform is a huge win for any author. So I'm curious if you would share with us briefly about what that achieved for you or how you feel about it looking back now. That's a funny question. So when the book was coming out, I did. I hired a branding firm to help me. Sorry, not yours, but a different branding firm to help me help. She helped me do the cover of the book and stuff. And then I hired a publicist because I was determined to do this. And they did get me on Megan Kelly and it was a wonderful experience. And I don't know that it did very much for me other than let me be able to say I'm on Megan Kelly and know that I could be on Megan Kelly and be fine. Like literally you just, just talk to Megan, talk to Megan, talk to Megan. And she got something completely wrong before the commercial break. And you can kind of tell because we went to commercial break and I said, that's not what happened. <laughs> so when we come back from commercial break, she starts to say something and she says, well, maybe you should tell us the story because she realized she had no idea what the story was. But I like, you think Megan Kelly, millions of people will buy my book. No, no. And my message was less honed then. Like I was just starting out. My message has truly developed as I've spoken somewhat endlessly about it over the last two and a half years. So I'm happy I did it. I got a lot of great publicity. Probably the best thing I got was I was in Marie Claire and that went on Apple News for the weekend. It was really cool. So publicity is great, but publicity, sometimes it feels like it only got me the chance to say that I had publicity, right? Which can get me more publicity, but you never know. You never know where one, just the one right person is going to see it. There's currently potentially a documentary on the church that I'm involved with because the producer was looking for something and stumbled on my book. So you never know. You never know who you're going to reach when. Well, let's talk about that a bit more, Lisa. You just said you never know who you're going to reach when. So could you talk a bit more about what you think has worked best for you in expanding the reach of this book? I'd honestly say the good thing about believing I have an important message is it means I ask just about anybody and everybody if they know somewhere I can speak, somewhere I can do a reading, somewhere I can promote. So I just keep asking. And I do think it's those that it just keeps going and be getting more and be getting more and be getting more. There's so there's a potential documentary. There's something else maybe going to happen that's really cool. And if it does, we'll probably help it push really high. But it's just asking this person and asking this person. And I guess blog post on guest post and places. And I speak just about anywhere. I just keep going, do as many podcasts as possible. Whenever someone reaches out, if it makes sense, I'll do it because on one hand, it will help it take off. And on the other hand, if I reach that one person who's in pain, then that's why I'm really doing it, right? It's the emails and the Twitter direct messages and Twitter and the Instagram messages. It's those things I get that blow my mind from strangers that keep me just going. So yeah, I wish I had a plan other than try this and try that and try this and try that, right? And try and try and try and try and keep asking people who they know who'd want to be, you know, want to help me spread the message. So 
I think you hit on something really important, Lisa. You have to keep going. It's not even a marathon. It's like a triathlon and I can't swim. So it's a hard triathlon, right? In between my leadership consulting business, right? And the book, there's always at least a couple hundred things I should be doing more, right? There's always more. There's always another. So it's this combination of what do I want to do today? What am I going to do this week? What am I going to do? And then also, when am I going to stop? When am I going to practice what I preach? When am I going to take care of myself? Because I could work nonstop and never get it all done. But each week, there's one more email I send or person I ask or place I can speak or like literally I ran into a neighbor. I'm like, oh, I didn't know your husband was the pastor of the church. What do you want me to talk to anybody about extreme religions, right? Because I'm able to say it's not about me. Yes, I'd love to sell millions of books. Yes, I want to be a New York Times bestseller, but one, because it's fun, but mostly because I want people to hear the message. So it allows me to just keep asking and just keep going and take some time off and then pick it up and do a couple more things. Love it. So you alluded a bit to it, but I'm wondering if you would tell me what your attitude toward fame and fortune is. (laughs) My attitude towards fame and fortune. If I'm lucky enough to get it, I'll probably wonder why I wanted it, right? If I was really famous, right? Because I know that there's a whole warpy thing to one's life and If the documentary and a couple other things actually happen, it could be really fun. And I'm just determined to have fun with it. Right. And again, I go back to the message I want to share is so important to me that fame and fortune is a way to share that message. So I know that the world doesn't need me to share it, but I can be one more person who can share it. Right. And if I can get famous enough that my story is big enough that other people can be in their situation and know that they have hope then it's all worth it. If something interesting happens, I might make the money I've spent on the book. I may may never make the money back I spent on the book, right? But I did it for a reason. I did it for all of those. We're called second gens or third or fourth, like those of us born and or raised in an extremist situation. I did it for all of them. I did it for anyone who's stuck in an extremist situation. I did it for anyone who has dysfunction in their family and in their childhood and in their current family and is in pain and suffering. That's why I did it. So I'm determined to have fun with whatever happens, but I'm also out here to hopefully have one more person reach out to me and say, thank you. You really gave me hope. So Lisa, tell me what role generosity has played on your journey. Generosity. What role generosity has played on my journey? Well, I probably am very generous with the book itself. Actually, I'm keynoting for a, I'll send you the information because it's virtual. I'm keynoting for a not-for-profit annual luncheon, the Women's Resource Center here in Wayne in April. And I am obviously donating books to give away in the hopes that it makes anybody, more people sign up. And if I meet someone in an extremist situation or born under raised in an extremist situation, I will always give them the book for free, give them an electronic book or send them a copy of the book. So I try to be generous. I try to be generous with my time. I try to be generous with my story. I will answer all almost any question. As you know, as long as it's not about the immediate family right now, I'll answer any question. I will just, you know, bear any part of the weirdness inside me in order to help people. So I'm hoping I'm generous. And I clearly have gotten a lot of generosity. I have people introduce me to people. I have people open their homes to have me come and speak to their friends. I've had people sponsor things for my events for me. I will do any book club. I will do anything. And I've had people open themselves and invite their friends to come and hear it. So generosity has been given to me and I try to be generous as I keep going. Yeah. So, and I'm trying to remember back before COVID stopped most air travel, I remember that you had this approach of leaving books in airports. Talk about that. It's called Book Fairies. I believe it originated in Scotland. It's still going. They're doing it in a different way, but it's a worldwide thingy. (laughs) 
<laughs> whatever the word is, worldwide thingy. Initiative, maybe? What? Initiative, movement. Initiative, that's a good word. Yeah, I, I'm, I teach communications, but I can't talk today. <laughs> a worldwide initiative where authors will leave their books and other books called book fairies. And it's like, leave a book, enjoy the book, pass it on. And it's just the idea to spread the message of your book and other books and get people reading again. The book fairies, it's great. And they are still going in some ways. Clearly, it's shut down a lot since COVID. And hopefully it will pick back up a lot when things open up again. But yeah, it was fun. And then I had friends who, you know, oh, I got eight of your books. I'm like, leave them every time you're anywhere. And then they would leave them and then you post it. And I did it so many times. The first time the person reached out to me and then they left it that next day and that person reached out to me. And most of the other times I didn't hear from anybody, but you never know. You never know who's going to read it. You never know who's going to pick it up or pass it on or whatever. So yeah, it's just another way to spread the love. It's so fun. It is fun. It was fun to do, like to leave it and take a picture and post it and see if people pick it up. And yeah. So Lisa, is there anything else that you've learned about book marketing that you wish I had asked you about? It feels daunting right? You're probably going to say there are specific things one should do. And there are, I always say, it feels like there's always more that I could be doing. And there must be a secret sauce that I haven't figured out yet, but I don't know that that's actually true. And so for me, it's just like, it's like that one day at a time, one more thing, one more thing. Do I need to sign up for this class? It tells me exactly how to do it. Maybe, maybe not. There's always more people, like there's always more. That's not supposedly the answer I'm supposed to give, but it's this combination of what do I want to do today? Why am I doing this? When do I need to take a break? And what's one, one more thing I can do? But I was told I'd be lucky if I sold 200 books. I've sold a lot more than 200 books, or not well, what they say, uh, nonfiction books sell about 200 on average from an unknown author. So that is what it is. But always be willing to look one more place, talk to one more person, ask for one more idea, listen to Becky. <laughs> And have her mm-hmm. tell you what you should do, and then not yourself up too hard if it doesn't make you the biggest bestseller. Because who knows? And I've had to really think about why I'm doing this and manage my own expectations for it, so that I am happy with how it's going rather than upset with how it's going. So that's what I would say. That helps. So at the end of every episode of the Book Marketing Action Podcast, we always like to leave our listeners with one or two action steps that they can take and implement this week. As you said, Lisa, this idea of what am I going to do today that you have to ask yourself. And so I'm wondering if together we can co-create a couple of action steps based on our conversation some things that people could do today. But I'm going to pull one out, Lisa. You talked about talking to your neighbors about your book. And I wonder if there are any authors listening today who live in a situation where they haven't told their neighbors that they wrote a book. So I'm going to challenge you today. Talk to someone who lives where you live. And if you haven't ever told them about your book, tell them. I think that's a great one. I like to say when I, mine's a memoir, right? And so in my neighborhood, I would say, I was saying like maybe half the women and a quarter of the men had read the book. So I go to a party and I'd be like, please don't answer this. Hey, when did you lose your virginity? Right. Okay. So we're even. (laughs) It's just like, everybody kind of knows these things. So probably your book isn't quite as revealing as mine. So yeah, talk to your neighbor is a dang good idea because you never know who has a cousin who owns a bookstore, who has a cousin who's a professor or who's best friend. You don't know until you put it out there. And so I would add to that two points. One is find a reason to do it so you don't feel like you're self-promoting because self-promotion doesn't work, right? Self-promotion, it doesn't work for me. As much as it feels people may think I self-promote, it doesn't work for me just to be promoting myself, right? I I have a message I'm trying to share. And then when you know that message, there are ways to get on lists for podcasts 
people who have podcasts to reach out to you or to reach out to other podcast owners, like find the next thing you want to do and find the way to get the list to find those people and just start spreading your message and seeing where it goes and honing your message as you go along. How's that? Good. I love that one. Thank you so much, Lisa, for investing some time with me today. If there are folks who are listening who want to find you online, where are the best places that they can connect with you? Absolutely. So I will tell you that if you Google Lisa K-O-H-N, you will find me because I'm still the first few pages that come up. But that said, my work website is Chatsworth Consulting. So it's C as in cat, H as in Harry, A, T as in Tom, S as in Sam, worthconsulting.com, all one word, Chatsworth Consulting. And my writing website is Lisa Cohn Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S.com. And all of my social media is at Lisa Cohn Writes. You just have to remember the K in Cohn, L-I-S-A-K-O-H-N, W-R-I-T-E-S, Lisa Cohn Writes. And please reach out to me for any reason, because I love to connect with people, authors and survivors and everyone. So we'll put all of those links for Lisa into our show notes, along with links where you can buy her two books. And I would definitely encourage you to reach out to Lisa. She is such a wonderful friend, and I'm so glad we got to have this chat. So we'll be back next week with another episode. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to rate us on iTunes to help other people find the podcast. Or you can always send me a note at any time. I'm Becky at weavinginfluence.com. Thanks for listening. And I hope you'll subscribe today and tell a friend about our show. If you're looking for hands-on help to market your book or have a question you'd like to hear me answer here, please email me, becky at weavinginfluence.com. 